Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant, maker of uh, some fine yarns, spinner of yarns. (laughs) You're a yarn spinner. I am. Uh, I guess I am too, to a certain extent. Part-time seamstress. <laughs> yes. But you only make the suits of light worn by matadors. That's right, Josh. Uh, Chuck. Yes. How's it going? It's great. I can't wait to hear your intro for this. Why? I don't know, because I thought this is a pretty interesting thing that we're doing. I agree. This is not one, not two, but three articles in one. That's right. Combined. Mm-hmm. And mishmashed, taken totally out of context, and repeated incorrectly. Yeah, we might be all <laughs> over the place on this one. Not necessarily. I've, I've, I've discovered a structure to this. Oh, good. So in, follow me. Just lead me. Okay. Um, let me give you the intro first. Okay. Chuck. Josh. Have you heard of the Keo satellite? No. Okay. Um, if you read Ben Boland's blog, you would have heard of it. He's written about it twice. Who? <laughs> yeah. Um, stuff they don't want you to know is Ben Bolin. Uh-huh. Car stuff's Ben Bolin. Yeah. Just a general man about town of awesomeness, Ben Bolin. I love Benny. Uh, he wrote about the Keo satellite, which was um, originally conceived in, I think, 1994 by a French artist named Jean-Marc Philippe. So if you didn't believe me that he was French, I'll bet you do now. <laughs> um, and his idea was to basically create a time capsule and launch it into space, right? So he had standard stuff. Um, standard time capsule stuff, you know, a drop of human blood encased in a diamond with the human genome engraved on the outside of it. Kim Kardashian's bikini. Right. Yeah. Um, the, uh, let's see, a sample of air, water, um, basically earth, wind, and fire, but without the fire and mm-hmm. with air. And then a CD yeah. of earth, wind, and fire, which would be great. And water. Yeah, I, I don't know why you wouldn't put it in, in there. That'd be a fun little ironic twist. He got a bunch of um, a bunch of press because one of the cool things that he's invited people to do is to enter your own message, whatever you want to say. Cool. Um, up to six thousand characters, which is still substantial. It's a few sure. paragraphs. Yeah. Um, and originally, since this was from 1994, you could send it your submission in uh, via regular mail or. <laughs> As Time Magazine put it in 2000, electronic mail. <laughs> Is that what they said? Yeah. Wow. Um, now I'm quite sure you can only go to keo.org and enter it through the website. Yeah. Um, but then all of this will be compiled into, again, based on the Time Magazine report, a CD-ROM. <laughs> now it'll be uh, transcribed onto some DVDs. Um, now this thing should have been launched f- like five times, but he's seeking private funding. It's a good idea. People are with it. Has no one ever done this? No, but the the whole point of it is is all this stuff is going to be put into a satellite, shot into space, and it's going to be given, I'm not quite sure how, a 50,000-year orbit. And then after 50,000 years, it should fall to Earth, hopefully be discovered. Mm-hmm. Um, within all this will be some sort of pictogram depicting how to create a DVD player. And then interesting, some future civilization will be like, oh, it's a DVD. We'll just pop it in our DVD player. And then, oh, my gosh, I can't believe what... Um, Mitch Mouse fourteen had to say <laughs> about about what life is like on Earth fifty thousand years ago. Yeah, 
what does this LOL mean? <laughs> and he chose Keo because apparently K-E-O are the three most common phonemes in all the world's languages. Hmm. That's a pretty good idea, I think. Sure, I love it. At the very least, it coincides with one of the articles we're talking about. What will the Earth be like in 50,000 years? Boom. Intro done. <laughs> nice job. Thanks. Uh, and to get to 50,000 years, Josh, we are going to also touch on the articles uh, 500 years and 5,000 years. And through this, I'm also going to be uh, disseminating information. I, I found a live science article that hit uh, 2020, 2030, 2050, 70, 80, and 2100. And they sort of culled um, opinions from scientists all over the world on what might be going on. And that's all within the next 200 years. Nice. And the story is not good. Well, yes. So here's here's the structure I mentioned previously, Chuckers. Okay. There's a couple of ways to approach this, right? Okay. Where, so we're talking about the Earth 500, 5,000, and 50,000 years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's one, there are two big questions. One, will humans be around at each of these periods? Sure. And there's two possible answers, yes or no. Mm-hmm. And then depending on the answer we choose, you we choose our own adventure and we end up with the treasure or being chased by pirates, right? Okay. The other possible answer is, okay, if humans are around, how advanced is our technology? And specifically, how advanced is our ability to tap energy? Yeah. Which apparently is totally correlated with how advanced our technology will be. Sure. Right? Yeah. So- I guess approaching the idea where uh, humans aren't around for any of this, just go watch a, a documentary called Life After Us or Life After People. I didn't get to watch it. It's cool. I know. I'm going to watch it. It's a very neat little hour and a half documentary that was a mini series like some time ago on some other channel. Um, but it was a neat little um, documentary like What If? And it shows like what, how long basically the earth will erase any mark of humanity after we're gone. And it doesn't, it takes a very, it takes a startlingly short time. And the dogs go feral and it's crazy. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, but let's say humans are around, especially in that 500 year scenario. Well, before we get there, can I read some of these highlights? Okay. And this sorry. is in the next, you know, up until 2100. Okay. So this is in the immediate future yeah. for some of us. We'll still be alive, I'm sure. I'll, I'll just read a few of these. Uh, by the year 2020, just to scare you. <laughs> uh, less rainfall could reduce agricultural yields by up to 50% in some parts of the world. Okay. Wow. Uh, world population will be 7.6 billion. By 2030, uh, up to 18% of the coral reefs in the world will be lost. Yeah, because of increased temperatures in the sea and higher acidity, right? Was it lower acidity? I think it's higher acidity. Is it higher? Okay. Um, and the Arctic Sea could be ice-free in the summertime by the year 2030. That's crazy. And this, these are according to, you know, that was specifically James Overland of the NOAA and Muyin Wang of uh, the geophysical research letters from UW. Right. So I'm just not I'm not trying to preach some wacky uh, global warming conspiracies here. Oh, no, I don't. I'm quoting from other people. Okay. Uh, by 2050, uh, ocean acidification. Okay, it is acid could kill off most of the coral reefs. At least 400 bird species could become endangered or extinct due to uh, deforestation. And people eating them. (laughs) In Australia, all you Aussies out there, there will likely be an additional 3,200 to 5,200 heat-related deaths per year. 
2080, Josh. <laughs> oh, it gets worse. Between 1.1 and 3.2 billion people will experience water shortages, and up to 600 million people will go hungry. You know, it's crazy. We, we've talked a lot about this, like we what have. happens when we run out of water. Uh-huh. Um, the climate porn one where we like warned against exactly what we're doing right now. Yeah. Um, we've talked about a lot of this. Go back and listen to it, everybody. Agreed. Uh, sea levels could rise in New York City by more than three feet, flooding uh, Brooklyn, Queens, Coney Island, so let Long me, Island. So let me add something there. Uh-huh. Three feet, it's a meter, roughly. It's a lot. And there's um, that's, that's totally within the predictions of sea level rise due to global warming, right? Yeah. About half a meter to two meters is what's predicted. So one meter in there. If the sea levels rise by one meter, in the U.S., we'll lose 10,000 square miles of dry land, 90% of that in the southwest. Wow. If the sea levels rise one meter, um, in India, Bangladesh, and Indonesia, they will lose, respectively, 6,000 square kilometers, 30,000 square kilometers, and 34,000 square kilometers of dry land lost. And believe me, Indonesia doesn't have much more than 34,000 square kilometers yeah. of dry land to give up, right? Sure. Um, and a total of 24 million people will be displaced. Wow. I know. That, that's, that's three feet. That's uh, Think about it. I mean, like, it, it doesn't seem like much, but it, it goes, you know, a ways back. Plus, also, we lose all those wetland buffers, so erosion um, yeah. really takes a hold as well. Well, they also, along those lines, predicted that uh, coastal population is going to balloon to about 5 billion people, and 20% already live uh along the world's most populous, uh, populated river basins. So, right. so everybody's going to have to move back a little yeah. bit. Everybody back up. So while this is happening, too, by the year 2080, while some places are flooded, other places are going to be drying out. Oh, yeah, desertification. We've talked about that, talked too. about that. And then flash forward to 2100, uh, atmospheric carbon dioxide levels will be much higher than any time during the past 650,000 years. Yeah. Uh, ocean pH levels will be the lowest they've been in the last 20 million years. And the ability of things like coral, crabs, oysters, any kind of shelled fish, exoskeleton, probably isn't going to be alive. Yeah. And a quarter of all species of plants and land animals could be driven to extinction, 25%. So that's, okay, so let's say, Chuck, that tomorrow everybody's like, we're going all wind power Everybody just prepare for some dark couple of years, but we're going to be fine. We're done doing fossil fuels tomorrow. Yeah. And we don't put any more anthropogenic CO2 into the atmosphere. If we did that, within a few decades, CO2 levels would go back to normal, Mm -hmm. whatever you could consider normal, without human contribution. Yeah. But then about 1,500 years from now, we could expect to enter another ice age, which will last 40,000 to 100,000 years. So you're starting to get the idea. That humans, just being us on the planet, sure. just burning fossil fuels, dead plants and animals for energy, mm-hmm. which is extremely primitive, as you're about to see. Yeah. Um, we are in trouble one way or the other. Oh, yeah. And, dude, that's not even talking about extinction-level events. No. That are going to happen at some point. That's normal glacial stuff. Yeah. I mean, Although that may the- happen millions of years from now. Right. But at some point, something will destroy humanity. Okay. Yes. Agreed. But over the short term, say 500 years, yeah, okay. we have, um, we have a, a big challenge to stay alive. Um, we have to basically become – our technology has to outgrow the frequency of catastrophic events. 
things like a meteor, a sure. comet, an ice age, mm-hmm. climate change. Um, and that's Michio Keku talking. Um, but if we can, if our civilization can advance fast enough that we can say, oh, there's a comet that's coming and there's going to be a mass extinction event. Luckily, our technology is sufficient that we can go out there and destroy it before it gets anywhere near Earth. Right. We'll be fine. We'll, we should be able to ensure our survival, at least here on the planet. And the way to do that is to go from what we are now, which is essentially a type zero civilization, to a type one civilization. Yes, we should go ahead and mention this. It's very important. Uh, the Karda- Kim Kardashian scale. <laughs> oh, hey, that's twice in one episode. That's crazy. Uh, I, don't I don't even know good who, about. Us. I don't even know who she is. Hardly. That's good. Okay. Uh, Nineteen sixty-four Russian astrophysicist Nikolai Kardashev um, put forth his theory that our technical advancement is in direct correlation to how much energy we can consume and tap into. A harness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, type one, which we're not even there yet, we're type zero right now, yeah. is we can harness everything on this planet, period. Every kind of energy we can tap into. Right, but it's um, it should be any type of energy that's available that's non-extractive, basically. Any kind of non-harmful energy is kind of the caveat. So it's okay. basically solar radiation, nuclear mm-hmm. fusion, that kind of thing. We use a billionth of the sun's... no. There's a billionth of the sun's energy available to us on Earth uh, through solar radiation. Okay. We currently harness a millionth of that. Wow. So we have a ways to go. But if you look at our progress over the last hundred years, mm-hmm. we were harnessing like zero of it pretty much. And now we're harnessing a millionth. So it's quite possible, according to Michio Keku, that we'll be able to harness 100% um, within a hundred years. Well, yeah, they say that over the past 10,000 years, our scientists estimate that we have evolved 100 times faster than at any other time. So if that continues, yeah. then hopefully we can uh, keep pace. I mean, just look at our advances in lighting over the last 100 years. Yeah. I mean, the, we went from fire to incandescent light bulbs to compact fluorescence. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like we're, we're, we're exponentially advancing. Agreed. So if we move to a type one, we harness 100% of the energy on the planet. We become, um, by definition, according to Kardashev, a planetary, a truly planetary species where, like, we probably have a universal language. We're all communicating via the Internet. Like, we are Earthlings, and we no longer see ourselves as Americans or Mexicans or Latvians or um, whoever, right? We're Earthlings. Right, exactly. Exactly. and as a result, our technology should be advanced enough that we can control things on the planet that threaten us, like ice ages right. or climate change. Right. So if we can do that, then we ensured our survival here on Earth. At least from those sort of natural disasters. Exactly. Good point, Chuck. Because we could always kill ourselves via war or something like that. Or we may enter the singularity before we've sufficiently attached ourselves to machines. Yeah become post-human, yeah. and if the singularity takes off before then, we are doomed. Whew. All right, let's get through these next two real quick. Okay. Because, man, type two means we can summon the power of an entire star system. That's pretty pretty impressive. Which, um, Freeman Dyson? Yeah, physicist. He said that uh, his, his whole thing is that um, a type two civilization could, like, basically put a gaggle of satellites around a star. Yeah. 
and um, like s- harvest its energy like that. Yeah, and he just for the record, uh, Michio Keku says we might be able to get to Type One in a hundred years, uh-huh. and Dyson says it's going to be more like two hundred. Still, it's not too bad. No, I mean that's a that's leaps and bounds from where we are now. Yeah, and Type Three, Josh, the geekiest of all. <laughs> We can command energy on a galactic scale. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Uh, I, I think basically it means like, um, so... We can go to other solar systems? Yeah, we can harness the energy of more than one star at once, and we would have power beyond anything we could conceive of. Probably also, by that time, that would, I guess, mean that we were capable of interstellar travel. Right. Which would probably mean that if there's anybody else out there, we're contacting them, which hopefully doesn't mean we're at war with them, but probably does at least at first. Right. So you mentioned technology growing. It's a little something called Moore's Law. Yeah. Uh, computer speed and complexity doubles every 18 months. If that continues, then potentially in the not-too-distant future, there could be a lot of robotics going on controlling these things instead of people or in addition to people. Yeah. What do you think about that? I I think that if we're not already fused to those machines, machines, we're slaves. Which is transhumanism. Yeah. Right. Which, I mean, if you're looking at it over 100 years, we're so close to mastering genetics that there's, if we stay on this track, it's pretty much impossible that we won't have diverged from evolution, taken ourselves out of... uh, natural selection right because we'll be able to fix ourselves so well that really the only thing that we just genetics alone the only thing we wouldn't be able to fix probably is death well don't be so sure oh okay uh there's a a cambridge university geneticist aubrey de gray who has said these famous words the first person to live to be 1000 years old is certainly already alive today Crazy. Uh, and whether they realize it or not, uh, barring accidents and suicide, most people that are 40 years old or younger now can expect to live for centuries. She's definitely on the... Are you sure it's a she? Aubrey? Maybe not. British? <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah. He or she... Is, Wesley? Is, Leslie? <laughs> is definitely... Sherlock? Out there as far as his or her predictions. Mm-hmm. But scientists do think that we are... I mean, they can already extend the age in uh, other mammals in laboratories, and we're funding it to the tune of $2.4 billion a year, anti-aging. So oh, yeah, too. Who knows? And we've talked about this before, too. Cryonics. Cryonics. Damn, Man. it is. It's all coming back together. Yep. Uh, let's see. What else, Chuck? So 500 years, we will most surely be around, I would say, and we will either be a suffering primate species uh, in the sweltering heat or freezing um, in an ice age that began because we abandoned fossil fuels yeah. without thinking it through. Um, but we'll probably still be around, right? Especially if you sure. look at catastrophic global change. Yeah. We'll probably be okay. Most of us will be. Those of us inland will be. <laughs> um, what about 5,000 years from now? It's the 72 or the 7,000s. No. Yeah, the seven seventy twelve. Right. Yeah. It's 2012. Yeah, yeah. That'd be Man, right. this, this thing's blowing my mind so much, <laughs> I don't even know what year it is now. Uh, Robert Lamb wrote this one, and he says that if we reach that type 1 status, then that's great news because then we've been able to stave off ecological disaster right. by being able to control these things and harness energy elsewhere. Right. 
Uh, but he also points out, like we said earlier, warf- warfare and uh, self-destruction might do away with us. Sure. If we can type, achieve type 2 status, then the, the sky's the limit, or the galaxy is the limit. Right. Well, that's the one with interstellar travel, I believe. Yeah. Um, and then he also talks about diverging through transhumanism, posthumanism, where if we take ourselves out of natural selection... That will probably, looking back, be a point where it's as significant as Homo sapiens diverging from Neanderthals or whatever happened back there. Right. Because, you know, there's a lot of speculation that humans are like 6% Neanderthal and like 10% something else. And like we're, we, we very much interbred with these um, individuals we were competing with as really? well. Interesting. Yeah. So I guess it wouldn't be diverging, but um, say the extinction of, uh, um, Neanderthals and the skyrocketing of Homo sapiens. Right. Because think about it. We're talking about 50,000 years ago. 50,000 years ago, Homo sapiens were just now reaching Europe and Neanderthals were very much still around and alive. I know. Isn't that crazy? And it possibly taken to the seas because they think that they were the first ones to um, basically build canoes. Neanderthals, really? yeah. Wow. They got in a bad rap and they're just now starting to be understood. Interesting. Yeah. If you don't know your past, you don't know your future, Josh. Well, that's the that's kind of one of the bases of this this little exercise we're doing now. It's sure. kind of like if you look at where we've come, especially if you're talking about how quickly we're progressing. Yeah. I mean, 500 years ago, um, who was it? Ponce de Leon discovered the Turks in the Caicos in 1512. At the, right. 20 years after the age of exploration began. Look at where we are now. We could go to the Turks and Caicos right now if we had a lot of money. Dude, we can go to Mars. No, not really. Not us, but we can land things on Mars. Sure. Robotic cameras, yes. please. That's like the beginning of the the new age of exploration. Yeah. But humans, they'll colonize Mars at some point. I fully uh, believe that. Yeah. That's another question to this whole thing as well. Like, what will the Earth look like? If you look at the first two in 500 years and 5,000 years, yeah. Robert took a really ethnocentric view of it. He made it about humans. Sure. But you kind of wonder, especially in the 5,000-year thing, like, will we just be like, Earth is kind of played out. We're going to leave. Right. And there won't be anyone here. We'll be on Mars or we'll be somewhere else. Yeah. And the Earth will just be like, man, I'm glad I thought those guys would never leave. (laughs) Raping me of all my junk. Yeah. Uh, Are we at 50,000? I believe so, man. Do we need to talk about axial precession? This is the one, yeah, we kind of do, because yeah. this one, if you ask me 50,000 years from now, no, humans won't be around. I don't think so. In what, 50,000? Yeah. I, I think that we'll have either left or we will have diverged so much from humans as we are now that uh-huh. they, we won't be around. And if we, if there are like human descendants... Uh, they will be at such peace with the earth that like, we can talk about it almost in its natural state of what it will look like in 50,000 years. I'm going with the extinction level event. Okay. But let's back up and talk about precession. Do you understand this? Yeah. So basically, you know, the earth, as it rotates around the sun or as it revolves around the sun, it also rotates, spins on its axis, Mm -hmm. the imaginary line that goes from the South Pole to the North Pole. Yeah. The thing is, is it doesn't spin in a perfect tight spiral. And we talked about this before, too. It's it's not like a, um, 
a Peyton Manning throw. It's more like a Tim Tebow throw. <laughs> it's got a little wobble to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So at any point in time, the earth is wobbling between, uh, I think, uh, 21 degrees. 22.1. 22.1 and yeah. 25, 24.5. Yeah. Okay, so if it's at 20, uh, 22.1, it's a lot closer to being vertical, perfectly vertical. Yeah. Which means that there's a lot less difference in the seasons. If it's over at a 24.5 degree angle, the seasons are so different that they could actually be about lopsided from where they are now. Yeah. Where in the northern hemisphere, we would have um, summer in the winter and vice versa. Right. Um, that's just a, that's just over like a 16,000 year cycle, right? Yeah. There's also something else called, um, obliquity, which is a 42,000 year cycle, um, which is kind of like the, the extreme of precession. What does that mean? It's the same thing, but it's over a longer period. That's the one with the tilt. Oh, okay. Where the tilt goes fully back and forth. Gotcha. And then you have eccentricity. And this one is more about the revolution around the sun. Right. Where the orbit of Earth around the sun is, it goes over a, I think, a 92,000 year? 97,000 year. 97,000 year cycle. It goes from a close to a perfect circle Mm -hmm. to an ellipse. Yeah. And as it's going through that, when you uh, factor in obliquity and precession, Chuck. What does this all mean? At some point. You have a much colder Earth yeah. than at other points, which is what accounts for ice ages. They think that's right. About every uh, well, they last for about a hundred thousand years, and in between, which is where we are now, mm-hmm. we got about ten thousand years of pretty good weather. Yeah, um, we are, like I said, right smack in the middle of the one. And scientists think um, the next ice age will reach its peak in about eighty thousand years. Yeah. So as far as our fifty thousand year prediction, not ours. But the 50,000-year prediction, we will not likely be in the next ice age, although ice will be encroaching, they think, as far south as like New York City. Well, not necessarily, because I, I ran across a study that said the, the next ice age will start about 1,500 years from the time that carbon dioxide levels don't exceed like 245 parts per million volume. So when's that? I don't know, because we're way above that now. Gotcha. But it would have to come back down, and then once that happened in about 1,500 years, we'd be in an ice age again. Okay. This is all scary stuff. But think about it. That's if we haven't advanced to a type one civilization. Exactly. If we have, then we'll have figured out how to right the earth on its axis, and there there will just be spring all year round, and everybody will just be happy as larks. It's like Guatemala. It will land of eternal spring. That's right. Uh, are we to extinction-level events yet? Yes. This is the one that will be the toughest to deal with. I think so. Buster Rhymes, the extinction-level event. Uh, <laughs> if you look back, like we said, you got to look back to your past and know your future. Over our four billion-plus history of the Earth, um, apocalypses, global apocalypses happen. Yeah, they happen. It's unavoidable whether or not it's an impact event, like an asteroid or a comet, or some sort of... Uh, gas-related expelling event, which happened, or the scariest of all, now that I've read up on it, the supervolcano, Yeah, which is pretty scary, like tectonic activity basically causing a volcano that would block out the sun for 
10 to 20 years. Yeah, which is what happened at the end of the Permian period, which I don't think it was coincidence that the supervolcano erupted at the end of the Permian period. I think it ended the Permian period 250 million one years ago. Yeah. 51 million years ago. The Great Dying, (laughs) as they call it, the Permian-Triassic extinction event. And they don't know that it was uh, it was a super volcano, um, the eruption of the Siberian traps. They don't know for sure because you can't know something that happened 250 million years ago. Yeah, they think it's could have been an impact event, maybe anoxia, uh, uh, which is when the oceans became really deplete uh, depleted of oxygen, mm-hmm. maybe some other gas event, or maybe a combination of this super volcano and anoxia and an impact event, sort of all converging to basically wipe out most every living thing on the planet. Yeah, like 95% of all marine species. Yeah. And um, how much? 70% of all land vertebrates. That's crazy. Uh, this eruption, the, the Siberian Traps uh-huh. supervolcano erupted for one million years. Holy cow. And it took, uh, the volume of lava was between one and four million cubic kilometers, and it took 30 million years for the Earth to recover. That's a big dying. And it was also the only known mass extinction of insects in the history of the Earth. Wow. Because usually insects will live through stuff. Yeah, they're fine. But, uh, yeah, this one wiped out. Apparently there used to be big, scary insects. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was like uh, cockroaches like three feet long and yeah. dragonflies just as long. And So the super volcano took care of that. Yeah. And it could take care of us one day. It very well may. Uh, of course, that is if we're here and we haven't figured out how to advance to even a type 1 civilization. Right. If that's the case, 50,000 years from now, we deserved it. I'm surprised there hadn't have been a super volcano movie. I think that's what that one with Pierce Brosnan was shooting for. It just kind of missed the mark. Well, because it was just local. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, no, it'll destroy parts of Los Angeles. Yeah. Not cover the world. Right. Yeah. But that's it, man. So we, I think boy, we that's... said definitively what will happen in <laughs> on Earth 500, 5,000, and 50,000 years from now. And if you are around in 50,000 years and we're wrong, you can send us an email and complain about it. Yeah. And tell us uh, what you thought of the Keo satellite. Yes. Uh, if you want to know more about what the Earth will be like, type those words into uh, the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. We have some pretty cool future stuff on uh, this website. And I said the search bar, which means it's time for listener mail. Josh, I'm going to call this Cannibalism on the High Seas. Just finished listening to the podcast on the Donner Party. Uh, you mentioned this is one of the very few instances of cannibalism in human history. Uh, did we say that? Um, yeah. Okay. I did. All right. I was just picking up William Aaron's work. <laughs> I recently learned of another one uh, that I thought I would share, the story of the whaling ship, the Essex. We talked about that in, the, in this weird, we're in this weird position right now because we have recorded the whaling episode. Oh, we did talk about that. But it's not out yet. Okay. Well, I'll read this anyway. Time is catching up with us. Um, The Essex took off a whaling expedition from Nantucket to South America in the 1800s. The ship harpooned a sperm whale, then exacted revenge by uh, ramming the small whaling skiff, uh, but also a large boat, which sank, uh, the large boat, which sank quickly. Twenty men made it into a lifeboat with as many rations and equipment that they could get aboard and were adrift for 90 days. Um, as we can expect, once the rations and sanity began to run low, they began casting lots to see who would be the unfortunate savior to the rest of the party. 
the interesting anecdote that our instructor told us, and she took a class, apparently. Uh, rather than just outright shooting the short sticker, they would wait, sidle up close, and mutter reassurances like, yeah, you know, you're doing okay for now. We got a couple of days. If we wait, we might hit land. And then suddenly, spot something off on the far side of the ship. When the man turned to look, kapow, he became dinner. Wow. <laughs> it's like so ruthless. Everything's going to be okay. Look over there. Uh, I'm not sure how true this is, and in the case of cannibalism, it's hard to say if that approach is more humane or not. I can only think I probably wouldn't want to see it coming. Uh, the boat finally made it uh, in there, and there were only eight of the 20 men left, um, and apparently it was inspiration for Moby Dick, which I think is what we talked mm-hmm. about, right? And there's a whole book on the Essex. It's supposed to be awesome. Yeah, so that's from Ashley with two E's. Awesome. Thank you very much. Um, thanks for that. Very weird. It is weird. The way time works. I could have stopped that, but I just figured. That's fine. I already told her I'd read it. Um, Let's see. If you have a note about something that we've already talked about but hasn't been released, we will be very impressed. See if you can do it. Um, Send it to us as a tweet uh, at SYSK Podcast. You can get with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash stuff you should know. Or you can send us an email at stuffpodcast at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?